Hi, my name is Jana Metzger. Welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. That in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies the implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Happy Easter, everyone. Jesus is risen. There we go. Yes. You never know how liturgical people are, you know, depending on what type of church you go to, what type of church you grew in, grew up in, you know, when, so when you say Jesus is risen, you can tell people who come from the real liturgical backgrounds, they always say, he is risen indeed. So let's try it again. Jesus is risen. Amen. There we go. One more time. Jesus is risen. There we go. Don't, no, don't worry. We're not going liturgical here. I just, I just want to, you know, for our liturgical friends, we want to make them feel better. Plus, that's kind of a fun word to say. If you couldn't tell, I'm trying to cram it in there as much as I possibly can. Liturgical, liturgical. You can try it if you want. Here we go, y'all. It's Resurrection Sunday. This is what we've all been waiting for, right? Now, I have to be honest with you all. I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit here, and I'm going to rag on Easter a little bit, all right? You all know how I feel about Easter, right? Some of you who have heard me talk about this, you know, we got the Easter, the Good Friday stuff. There's, there's an issue that I have with Easter, and I don't have an issue with Easter. I think we should celebrate Easter. That's a good thing, right? Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's definitely something worth celebrating. But y'all, there are 52 Sundays in a year, and for you and I, Jesus Christ is just as risen on each of those other 52 Sundays as he is on Easter. You know, there's lots of studies that go into Easter and Christmas are the two most attended Sundays, the two most attended services in the church calendar, right? And y'all, I think some of that is the church's fault. Because what do we do on Easter and Christmas every year? Every year we roll out the red carpet. Every year we put on these huge productions. Every year it's like, what are we doing for Christmas? What are we doing for Easter? Bigger, 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 bigger. Because we're going to have all these new people and we got to show them how awesome church really is. Y'all, if you need a church to show you how awesome it is that there is a man who 2,000 years ago rose from the dead, then I don't know what you're doing. Right? I had a, a good pastor friend of mine once. He said, he said, you know, one of these days, I'm going to get up there on Christmas or on Easter Sunday, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell everybody, you know, the people who only attend church on Christmas and Easter, they really just prove that they don't get it, either one of them. They don't understand either one. And I thought, why don't you just say it? <laughs> so there you go. I just said it. I broke the seal. We just said it. But, but guys, I think it's the church's fault, right? Because in drumming up all of this Oh, come on, it's Easter, invite your friends, invite your friends, and then next week we're going to go back to half the pastors in America are going to take the Sunday off because Easter's so exhausting, we've got to, right, right? And you come back, so everybody knew who attended church this week, they come back next week and it's like, well, hold on a second, where's the fireworks and where's the, what happened to the church we came to last week, right? But y'all, if you really get this, Jesus Christ is risen. We don't need smoke and mirrors to celebrate that. That's something that celebrates itself. That's something worth getting up for in and of itself. Jesus Christ doesn't need Jeremy Metzger to get up here and do some crazy magic tricks to get you all to come back next week, right? We need the Holy Spirit to move to show us the reality of the resurrection. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. The reality of the resurrection. Now, we're in this sermon series called Reverse the Curse. And each of these weeks, we've been looking at the reason why Jesus had to come. The reason why this resurrected Savior is such a big deal. And it all stems from Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, we see the story the Bible gives us of the fall of man, 
of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve decided that they knew better than God. Now, you know, we like to pick and choose. We like to pick apart that story and say, well, the fruit symbolizes. Y'all, forget the fruit. Adam and Eve decided, I can run my life better than God can. And so I'm going to eat this fruit that he told me not to eat. And ever since that day, ladies and gentlemen, we do the exact same thing. We say, God, I can run my life better than you can. God, I know what I'm doing. And look, when I get in the jam, when, when, you know, when it finally works itself out and I find out, oh, shoot, I can't run my life as well as I thought. Then I can pray, and then I can ask God, God, save me, help, help, I can't do this. But then as soon as he saves me, what do we do? I used to do this a lot in college, y'all, any of y'all there, right? The night before an exam that you didn't study for, Jesus, please, I, I promise you I will serve you the rest of my days, every day. I'll become a missionary to wherever you want me to go. Just get me a C on this test. And then you get a C on the test, and it's like, all right, well, forget it. Let's go party, guys, right? right? You forget the promise you made. You know the crazy thing? God doesn't forget the promises you make. Because guess where I am right now? <laughs> he got me. No, I'm just kidding. But, we, so, I lost my train of thought there. We think we know better than God, though, don't we? And that is our sin nature, right? A lot of time we look at sin as, oh, bad things. Don't do bad things. That's not what sin is, y'all. Sin is thinking that I can do anything without God, right? We talk about this a lot here at the Gospel House. There are two ways to do life. There are two ways to do anything. There is God's way, that's straight and narrow, and then there is everything else. Our call as followers of Jesus Christ, our call as Christians, is to walk the straight and narrow. That means we have got to depend on God for everything, to do everything. Everything else, this wide that leads to destruction, man's way, our way, that is all sin. That's what the Bible calls sin. Turns out it's a lot bigger than any of us thought, right? <laughs> which is super depressing, which is why we need a resurrected Savior. And that's exactly what God gives us. So, for one last week, let's take a look at the curse, part of the curse, that we see in Genesis 3. And this one comes in verses 14 and 15. It says this, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you more than all the livestock and more than any animal of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will make enemies of you and the woman, and of your offspring and her descendant. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now the Hebrew word there, this is kind of a duh point because we're reading from the NASB. But depending on what translation you read from, it gets translated a little bit differently. The Hebrew word there for bruise, he shall bruise, or you shall bruise, where is it? He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. That Hebrew word for bruise is the same word both times, a shoof. Isn't that a fun word? Shoof. That's what bruise means. Some translations will translate that as you will crush his head and he will strike your heel, okay? But I want you to know it is the same word. Now you can see what the translators are getting at because if I'm going to if I say like hey, I'm going to punch you. You want to get punched in the face or you want to get punched in the heel? 99% of you are going to pick heel, right? Cuz it doesn't hurt as much. So so that's the the other translations that's what they're getting at. The the actual Hebrew word it it means it means to crush, to grip hard, to overwhelm or to strike. It can mean any of those things. But you get what they're saying. To strike someone on the head is much worse than to strike someone on the heel. We all in agreement with that? And that is exactly what we see when Jesus Christ deals the crushing blow to the serpent on Easter Sunday. Now, up until this week, we have gone through these curses and it's been a little heavy, right? Because the curses that fell on Adam, the curses that fell on Eve, the curses that fall on mankind... Those are kind of not fun curses to look at because they apply to us, right? We bear the weight of those curses because of what Adam and Eve did. But today, we get to look at the serpent. And this is a curse that we can celebrate. 
because the serpent is the devil. All throughout the Bible, the serpent equals the devil. God's arch enemy from the beginning, and it's kind of a one-sided arch enemy, right? Christians, we give, we give the devil a lot more credit than he actually deserves. We like to pretend that he's this great and powerful. Now, don't get me wrong, you've got to be aware of him, but y'all, God's not sitting up there in heaven like, oh gosh, do we have the right battle plan to take out the... Come on, man, right? And it shows on Easter Sunday. Today, some 2,000 years ago, we watched as the devil, we didn't watch because we weren't there, but we'd look back and we watch, we celebrate that the devil finally got what he deserves. He finally gets what he deserves, his just deserts, his comeuppance. The devil gets his eternal payback as Jesus Christ rises from the dead. That's something we're celebrating, right? So while these other curses we look back at and we think, how can we redeem these? This is one that we look at and we say, let's walk in victory, y'all. The curse has been broken. Jesus has crushed the head of the enemy. I want in on that. I want in on that. So let's look at how thoroughly Jesus crushes the enemy. So we're going to look at three things today. First, we're going to look at the bruise on the heel. Second, we're going to look on the, at the bruise on the head. And then third, we are going to look at your bruise, the bruise that you must bear. So first, we start off with the bruise on the heel. Genesis 3.15 tells us this, that he will bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, this is, this Genesis 3.15 this is the first messianic prophecy in the Bible. Messianic prophecy is just a fancy way of saying it's a prophecy that tells us about Jesus before Jesus, right? So people who are currently in the Jewish faith, they believe that these messianic prophecies are about someone who has not yet come, that this, this Messiah is still to come, all right? Christians, and then there are, there's are a branch of people who are still Jewish, but they believe in Jesus, Messian, Messianic Jews, that's what they call themselves, but those people believe that this is talking about Jesus, and there is historical fact that you can go back and research that Jesus fulfilled and accomplished every single Messianic prophecy in the Bible, and this is one, and it's a big one, because this is the one that we celebrate on Easter. You'll notice that the uh, New American Standard Bible capitalizes that D right there. You see that? That descendant. And there's something interesting that happens here. You would expect that when you would be writing something about a descendant, you would make it plural, right? That's what you would expect. When I talk about, you know, my family, my descendants, the people to come after me, I, I pluralize it, right? It's descendants. The Hebrew does not do that here which means it is talking about one very specific descendant who will come from Eve. One very specific child who will be born to the woman, who will come and rise up, will crush the enemy's head, but will be dealt a bruise on his heel. And don't miss it, because God's eternal plan was that the enemy would indeed deal a blow to this chosen descendant, right? You don't get Easter, you don't get resurrection without the bruise to the heel. So let's take a look at it. Today we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark's account of these events. And this comes from Mark 15, starting in verse 22. It says, Then they brought him, Jesus, to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. And they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man would take. Now it was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And they crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, shaking their heads at him, saying, Ha! You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself by coming down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. 
Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of the bystanders heard him, they began saying, look, he is calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave him a drink saying, let us see if Elijah comes to take him down. But Jesus let out a loud cry and died. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw that he had died in this way. He said, truly, this man was the son of God. Now there were also some women watching from a distance, among who were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the less, and uh, Hoses and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they used to follow him and serve him. And there were many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. When evening had already come, since it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, he who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. And he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time, and summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he, had already, whether he was already dead. And after learning this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Joseph bought a linen cloth, took him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb which had been cut out in the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Hoses, were watching to see where he was laid. This is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the descendant of Eve from Genesis 3. This isn't exactly a bruise on the heel, though, is it? We need to do a better job as Christians when we read these stories on so many different levels of reading the Bible the way that the original hearers of the Bible would have read it. We need to read these stories the way that the people who were in the stories would have been thinking and feeling and seeing. We read the Easter story. We read the crucifixion. But we read it already knowing the ending. And so we miss a lot of what's actually going on here, right? Uh, show of hands, how many of you have seen the Star Wars movies? All right, we got them. Now, how many of you saw the Star Wars movies when they first came out in the 80s? Yeah, okay. So let me tell you something. The Star Wars movies hit different for 80s children than they do for people who are watching them now right? Right? Now, now we had the privilege of watching the Star Wars movies. I watched the Star Wars movies when they came out, and then having my son watch the Star Wars movies, starting from the new ones, right? Because they did the new ones next, right? They did it backwards as a prequel, right? So I'm watching Elam, and Elam is watching these movies, right? And Anakin Skywalker, he's the hero, and he's the one everybody cheers for. And me... I know what's going to happen, right? But Elam doesn't know what's going to happen. So in the last new episode of the new movies, when Anakin Skywalker turns... Now, if any of you haven't watched the Star Wars movies and you intend to, I'd plug your ears because this is a big spoiler. But when Anakin turns into Darth Vader, Elam is like... <laughs> and he turns back and he looks at me and Jana and he's like, wait, 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 what? It's like somebody dropped a bomb, right? But I'm sitting there like, oh, wait for it, buddy. Why? Because I had the bomb dropped on me in the 80s of Luke, <gasps> I am your father, right? That bomb already got dropped. But that's how we read the gospel sometimes, isn't it? The story has become so prevalent, so prominent, so commonplace that we read the crucifixion and it doesn't hit. We see Jesus Christ up on a cross, and it doesn't hit. Well, he's just going to raise anyway. You don't think it sucked being up on that cross, right? Jesus Christ was dead. He died on that cross. The disciples, those who weren't in fear of their lives hiding, gathered his body from that cross, broken, and pierced and bloodied and they put it 
in the tomb. Ladies and gentlemen, this is no strike on the heel. Right? This isn't a bruise. This is utter defeat. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes. You have literally given up the entirety of the past four years of your life to follow this man. When Jesus Christ would say things that turned other people away, that turned people who were just kind of half in, half out away, what did his disciples say? He said, Jesus at one point in the gospel says to them, what, what about you 12? Don't you want to leave as well? And Peter answers and said, Lord, where will we go? We don't have anything left. And we've come to know that you have the words of eternal life. Imagine that you're that disciple who's given up everything to follow this man. And you watch or you hide as they put his body in that tomb and roll the stone over the entrance. It's over. People don't rise from the dead. Right? And yet, Jesus was so much more than even his disciples could realize. Jesus was no ordinary human. Jesus was not just a rabbi. He wasn't just a prophet, just a good moral teacher like some say today. Right? Jesus is God. And he proved it by taking the enemy's plans and doing the exact opposite. Doing the exact opposite that the enemy had planned to accomplish through this death. Satan's job, Satan's mission was to kill the Son of God, and he succeeded. But he also set forth in motion what was about to become the crushing blow to his own head. Because in killing the Son of God, Satan was only bruising Jesus' heel and crushing his own head. All the way back in Genesis 3, y'all, God does not miss a promise. You want to hang your hat on a truth throughout the universe? If God has given you a promise, y'all, and it hasn't happened yet, just wait. Because God does not miss a promise. And you see it all the way back in Genesis 3. Is there anything else that could be as final as death? This descendant that it talks about in Genesis 3 is dead, gone, and yet, wait three days, because God's promises never fail. And he gave his people a promise, and he delivered on that promise. Because in three days, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might come and anoint Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb for us? And looking up, they noticed that the stone had been rolled away, for it was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. But he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He, he is not here. See, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Again, put yourself in the position of these women, right? People don't raise from the dead. That's not a thing that happens. So when they come and this person tells them, Jesus isn't here, y'all, he's alive. 
These are women who were there, who saw him crucified, who watched him breathe his last, who watched as the soldier pierced his lungs with his spear. There was no question he was dead. You know, we get conspiracy theorists, right? People who try to explain away the cross. Well, this is all a giant conspiracy with his followers. Are you kidding me, y'all? Are you kidding me? Because it's not just the Bible that gives us accounts of Jesus' death. There are completely secular sources that confirm the manner in which Jesus died, that confirm the fact that, y'all, there's no grave. There's no tomb. It's empty. Now, the secular sources won't tell you that Jesus rose from the dead. They'll just tell you that there's a conspiracy among the believers, and a lot of Jesus' followers say that he's not in the tomb anymore. And that's where they leave it. But we know what happened. We have what happened right here. Do you believe what happened? Jesus Christ defeated death. The curse that Adam brought into the world. Jesus Christ defeated pain. The curse that Eve brought into the world. And Jesus Christ defeated sin and hell and evil, the curse that Satan used to try to turn mankind against God. Jesus completely reversed it all. And now, because of what Jesus did, ladies and gentlemen, it's our turn. It is your turn. And here is the reality of Easter that we often miss. In the Easter egg hunts, in the Easter bunnies, in the productions, in the lights, in all the things, there's a reality that we miss in Easter. You have a choice to make. And it is a choice that must be made. Fact of the matter is you choose it daily whether you want to or not. Jesus Christ does not give you the opportunity to sit on the fence. Jesus Christ doesn't give you the choice to sit in the middle. There are no Polands, right? Poland is the one that in wars, they always try to like not choose a side. Is that right? Right? Switzerland. There are no Switzerlands. There we go. Switzerlands. I knew it was one of those. stupid uneducated Jeremy I know my Bible I don't know my geography I'm sorry you got to choose y'all you have got to choose and these are your two choices you have to choose how you bruise and it rhymes so you know it's theologically accurate I'm just kidding that's a bad barometer to measure with you either bruise the enemy on the heel and crush your Savior's head. Or you do what the Bible says. You bruise your Savior's heel, and you crush your enemy's head. Now let me explain. God convicted me of this. I tell you all this a lot. If God convicts me of something, you better believe I'm going to convict you with it, right? He hit me hard with this, because y'all... I don't do this. I don't make this choice. I choose the wrong way to do it. Christian, and I'm preaching at you, Christian, we are more than happy to put the Son of God to death. We are more than happy to crucify him for our sins. And then the next day, we put him to death again. And again, and again, and again, and again. Because we will not walk away from our sins. His grace has become cheap. And this is especially true in our culture today. And I'm afraid cheap grace is what you'll hear preached in the majority of churches, especially on Easter Sunday. We crucify Jesus over and over again. Now, not literally, right? Jesus Christ died once for all. It's over. 
but we're more than happy to continue to kill our Savior because we will not walk away from our sin. We don't stop going our own way. We don't rely completely on God. We aren't dependent upon Him. And in doing so, we crush our Savior's head. Now look, we're really good at striking the enemy's heel. I'm really good at striking the enemy's heel, right? I'll kill off certain sins. There are certain sins in my life that I don't have a problem letting go of. I'll let go of those things and I'll move on. I'll rage against injustice, right? As long as it promotes my agenda. I'll rail against particular sins, especially the sins that I don't personally struggle with. But if it draws light to the sin of other people, all the better because then they don't look at the sin in my life, right? We have no interest in dealing that deadly blow to the enemy. Because the fact of the matter is, if we're being honest, there's some sin that's fun, right? There's some sin that feels good. There's some sin that makes it easier for me to build myself up and make me look better to other people. It's convenient for me to stay in control of my life. It feels safer when I get to call the shots. It's nice that I have a God that I can turn to when things aren't going as planned to get life back into my plan. But when I don't owe a Savior everything, he can't ask me to do anything without my permission. And again, y'all, I am not talking to unbelievers. I'm talking to Christians. Christian, when will we start living out this reversal that Jesus Christ paid for us on this Resurrection Sunday? What we should be doing is bruising our Savior's heel. The fact of the matter is, you have to bruise Jesus' heel. You cannot take the first step into the gospel without acknowledging that you are the reason Jesus had to hang on that cross. Your sins, not Adam and Eve's. It's easy to use Adam and Eve as a scapegoat. Well, it's, uh, I was born this way. Adam and Eve screwed it up. I'm just, uh, it's not my fault. No. The buck stops here. It's on you, right? It's not how you were raised. It's not biological factors. Look, those all play in to the person that you've become. But at the end of the day, you must stand up and say, I am responsible for Jesus' death. It's on me. And you strike him on the heel. Our culture today is awful at accepting this because it's personal responsibility, right? It's personal accountability. We don't like accountability today. We like to point the finger at everyone else who's responsible, but the gospel of Jesus Christ says that first point has to be here. You have to point the finger here first. But once you have, then you're supposed to live in victory. Christian, you are supposed to live in victory, which means you crush the enemy's head. You don't leave anything to chance. You don't step on his toe. You don't step on his tail. You don't break his spine and leave him paralyzed. You crush his head, which means that you live in the resurrection power that Jesus Christ bought for you. You don't live in your own strength. You live in his. On the day of Pentecost, Jesus Christ, after he had ascended to heaven, he released the Holy Spirit. That's resurrection power, y'all. And now we have access to the Spirit of God. Every day, he is living inside of those who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God those who have called on his name. The Holy Spirit is in you. Why are you walking in your own power? See, and this is what Christians try to do. 
We try to crush the enemy's head in our strength, right? Jeremy tries to cut sin off from my life. Jeremy tries to get rid of sin. Jeremy tries to surrender to God. Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy. Y'all, it's Jeremy that got me into this mess, right? Self is what got me into this mess, which is why when Jesus comes and preaches, what does he continually preach? That we are to die to self and live in him, right? In the Gospel of John, I love this. I reference it all the time because I just don't understand how we continue to miss it, how I continue to miss it. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he's probably the only human being, he is the only human being who could have come and said, all right, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to do this my way and the rest of you follow my example, right? Jesus could have done that. He was the Son of God. He didn't. When asked over and over again, Jesus says, I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father saying. And yet we have Christians running around today teaching that Christianity is some practical thing that if we just apply five easy steps, we'll all be able to do it. That's not what the gospel says. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what we're supposed to do. We don't like it because it requires a second-by-second surrender. Every moment of every day surrendered to the Holy Spirit. That is how we crush the enemy's head. Our failure to get this right shows the current reality of Easter. This is the heavy truth that we face with Easter today. Christian, you and I don't believe it. We do not believe in the Easter story. It has become a story to us that we put up on felt boards in children's classrooms, and that's all. It is not a reality. That's heavy, y'all, isn't it? We say we believe this, but if the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a reality to you and me, we would live lives that look completely different than what we're currently doing. Now, before you feel too bad, don't want to crush everyone, right? We're not the only ones who missed it, right? Because in this very resurrection story that Mark gives us, he continues with this. Now, after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he had first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. Now, after that, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along their way to the country. And they went and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the 11 disciples themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he reprimanded them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen from the dead. You know, on Wednesday night, we, the first Wednesday of every month, we have a family worship night, and this, this past Wednesday, we had a time of worship, and then we asked two discussion questions. And they profoundly impacted me. If you were here, I hope it profoundly impacted you as well. If you were not here, I'm going to give them to you now so that they can profoundly impact you. My encouragement to you would be that you either jot it down or you make a note of it or whatever and, and really take some time to reflect on these questions, to really soak in on them. Because fact of the matter is the majority of us will walk out these doors and we'll go to our Easter family celebrations and we'll forget everything that Pastor Jeremy said right? You'll, you might get some of the meat and potatoes, the, the, the bulk of it, but y you'll forget every example. You might remember the Star Wars thing because you grew up in the 80s and you love Star Wars, but the majority of it goes out the window, right? That's, that's what happens during these sermons. But jot this down so you do not forget to reflect on it. Here's the questions. Imagine that you are one of Jesus's disciples, one of these disciples that we've talked about today. How does your life change after interacting with the resurrected Jesus? 
seeing him buried in the tomb, hearing about the empty tomb, and now seeing him face to face. You can put your fingers in the piercings, you can, all of it. You see him face to face. How does that change your life? How do you live after that? Now part two, and this is the sucker punch, forgive me. You are one of Jesus' disciples. There's no imagining about it. And you can interact with Jesus anytime through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can make this resurrection a reality to you, and he's the only one who can. Why aren't you living your life different? Why aren't you living? Because the fact of the matter is we know what happened to these disciples, don't we? We have the book of Acts, and we read that these timid fishermen, these uneducated people, go toe-to-toe with the Pharisees and Sadducees in Scripture references, right? Toe-to-toe with these people who have studied the Torah their entire lives, and they're unfazed by them. They walk away from their careers they walk away from their families, they, everything. They give up everything to do what? To proclaim the gospel, to follow Jesus, to follow the Holy Spirit. We know this because the gospel of Mark doesn't end here. Jesus says to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The one who has believed and has been baptized will be saved, but the one who has not believed will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. Jesus spoke and the disciples immediately obeyed. They went out and preached everywhere. And notice who was doing all of the work. The Lord, right? They did it exactly like Jesus did. But here is our reality today, y'all. To jump back to those two choices that we have. You need to choose how you will bruise. Are you going to crush the serpent's head? Or are you going to give him enough wiggle room so that you can keep those pet sins around? Right? Are you going to crush your Savior? Or are you going to accept that he died once and for all for you? Accept the fact that he has given you the power of the resurrection. The same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. You do not have to sin another moment of your life. You can walk away from sin completely starting right now. But you must be dependent on that spirit that he has given to you. Every moment of every day. You're done doing it your way. It's all for his. But here's the thing. The gospel makes this a tricky choice. Because it's really not a choice at all. The fact of the matter is... You either don't believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, or you say you believe it in word only, or you believe that Jesus Christ rose with every fiber of your being, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. You know without a shadow of a doubt that that tomb is empty that Jesus Christ rose. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has been made so real to you through the Holy Spirit 
you have had an encounter with this resurrected Christ. That doesn't mean he shows up in person, but you've had an encounter with him. God has made him so real to you. And when that happens, your life will never be the same. Your life can never be the same. And this is the gospel, y'all. The gospel does not say that I need to pray that I will do a better job at hitting all of my moral standards, right? The gospel does not say that I need to go and pray for the fruit of the Spirit. I need more patience, God. I need more peace. I need more joy. I need more. That's not what the gospel says. What does the gospel say? The gospel says we love because he first loved us. Everything on my end is a response to what Jesus Christ has already done for me, which means that I don't need to pray for more of this and this and this. I need to pray for an encounter with the resurrected Savior. I need the Holy Spirit to make God's love real to me, so real that nothing else looks real. So real that everything in this life looks so temporary. And everything I do from this point on is lived for the next life. That's a radically different life, y'all. Isn't it? That is a scary commitment to make. Can we, for once, Christian, can we pretend that this is what it is? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, famous German theologian, he once said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. We must stop pretending that the call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is some easy decision that can be made on an Easter Sunday morning. That you can sign a card and all of a sudden, like, yay, you're in the country club. Nowhere does the gospel say that. Which means that we may not be millions upon millions, right? There's not going to be millions of people to flock to, who flock to that message. Because it's hard. People don't like doing hard things. But all through scripture, y'all, God doesn't move through the masses. He moves through the remnant. He moves through the chosen few who are willing to say, God, I'm done playing games. And I'm ready to run after this with everything that I've got. I'm ready to give you everything. And I accept that that is going to work things that are completely out of my control. But when God brings you into that encounter, when the resurrection of Jesus Christ becomes a reality, your self, your will, your plans, you cheerfully let go of because you have seen the love of your Father. I can stand up here all day long, y'all. You guys have heard me preach before. You know I can stand up here all day long. I could stand up here all day long and give you every single illustration, every great sermon point, every, everything that I've ever heard in my life. I will never be able to make the love of God a reality to you. Ever. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. He is the only one. That's why he changed the world through these disciples. The resurrection was a reality to them. It wasn't just a story. God's love was a reality to them. It wasn't just a story. That's what we need to pray for. This is our only prayer, y'all. You guys have heard me say this before. I don't believe in sinner's prayers. You know, you go to a lot of churches and they do the sinner's prayer. I don't think it's wrong. I, please don't take that away from this. I don't think that's it. But I, I just, there, it's not in the Bible. And so I don't, I don't do sinner's prayer. But I'm going to do something that's like a sinner's prayer today. You don't have to pray this with me. I'm going to invite you to pray it with me, to repeat it after me if you want to. But this is, guys, this is heavy, right? Christianity's heavy. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, that's not a lighthearted, let's go skipping to the gates of heaven together, right? It's supposed to be heavy. This isn't a decision that you enter into lightly. But the fact of the matter is, as we move forward, y'all, 
as we move forward as the Gospel House Church, as we move forward as disciples of Jesus Christ, this is the only prayer that we need to learn to pray. This is how we move on from sin. If you are stuck in a sin that you just keep running back to, that you can't let go, if there's an addiction, if there's a, a mental illness, if there, whatever it is that is holding on to you that you can't let go of, this is the prayer that moves you on from that. This is how we move on from the curse. The curse in Genesis 3 that we heard of, this is how we move on from that. This is how we live, not my will, but yours be done. And we pray this prayer. So if you'd like, you can repeat this after me. If you want to just soak it in, pray any kind, any prayer like this when you get time. This is the prayer. It's the prayer. It says this, Holy Spirit, open my heart. Open my soul. Open my strength. Open my mind. Open my eyes. Spirit, make this resurrection of Jesus Christ a reality to me. Bring me into an encounter with the resurrected Jesus that I cannot deny. Make it more than a story. Make it my reality. And help me to live in that reality from this day forward. Amen. Happy Easter, y'all. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Now go live like it. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you were pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learned to look more like Him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house connect, fill out the form, and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you, and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.